My name's Mel Herbert, and he's Tom Wolfson. We're going to be talking about the cars, the batteries, the solar panel, the stock price, the man, the myth. We're going to be talking about everything Tesla. Why? Because we're... Talking. 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 Talking Tesla. So, okay, we're here, me and you, and you and me, together. Yeah. It's Talking Tesla number 23. This is... The first time it will be released one when, week after the last one. And yeah. also, yeah. very exciting things. Yeah. It's a leap day. The Oscars were last night. I believe I won good. six awards. I'm pretty talented. Are you, are you, my, are you Max, buddy? <laughs> I'm, I'm How ma- many did Max win? I am mad. It won six. six. All of the arty, creative yeah. ones, which really I could get behind. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I didn't love that movie. I love that movie. I know you did because you like that kind of thing. It was like one iota away from a zombie movie as far as you were concerned with exactly. the, with the guys spitting into Here's the why I carburetors. Like and we, we're going to be doing this weekly, but we can't <laughs> bullshit for another hour every week. Well, let's stop then. No, I'm going to No, say- let's stop. Go ahead. Mad Max. <laughs> Loved it. George Miller is an ER doc in Australia. He funded the first Mad Max movie by doing shifts in the ER. He is Australia's greatest director Nice work. Wasn't best picture. I wanted Revenant to be best picture, but you know that's all right. It won a good. It won the two good awards. And uh, did Leo. George Miller? Is he currently shifting in no, Australia? Please. When did he stop? Did he stop after Years the ago. first Mad Max? Uh, uh, after the second one, I think he became quite rich. Wasn't you know, wasn't that the one with Tina Turner? Or no, that was three. Yeah, Beyond I think that was Thunderdome. Three. Beyond Thunderdome. Hey, let's do we, this. We did not talk about SpaceX last time because we ran out of time. But there's you a couple ran of updates. Out of time. We, you, the people. No, you talked a people. lot last week. We're very... doing 30 minutes and that's it. Okay. I'm just going to cut it off. Fine. Okay, so uh, SpaceX. I guess the most important news right now is that they tried to launch over the weekend and they failed times two. So they they were going to send up one of these satellites, yeah. and they're using the Falcon Nine rocket, yeah. and they're over there in Cape Canaveral. And the first time they're about to launch, and then they say, "Stop! Abort! Abort! Abort!" And that was because somebody drove their boat near the landing um, pad that's floating out in the ocean. Reporters. And so you know what Elon says: we're sending out the gunships to move them. He didn't say gunships, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. They Will you move your s- effing boat? SpaceX doesn't have gunships. They uh, Elon does. <laughs> Elon <laughs> he, has he might. He might have some personal, like, South African gunships. It's rude. Let's get the gunships and get rid of these guys. <laughs> get them out they, of they, there. Get them off my they, range. They're bloody killing me. So then they reboot the thing, and they're getting ready to fire it off again. This is about half an hour, 45 they minutes They kind of did fire it. It looked like... <laughs> Sputter. It was all there. It was 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, one. 2, 1. It starts to there flame. ignition. And then they're like, ah! it aborts itself. It's like, Abort. no, no. And the reason for the second time it didn't go up was something like, because it had sat on the pad for so long, the oxygen had warmed up. There were some helium bubbles. And the computer said, no, nah, we're not going. Right. They, so the computer checks the valves on all nine rockets at ignition, uh-huh. opening and closing. And if they're not all firing properly, the computer says, no dice. We're not going up today. It's not happening. Wow. Where's the computer from? He's in. He's from Cuba. It's Cape Canaveral. Oh, that's right. Of course. <laughs> They're very close. This goes without saying. Uh, it sounded like Ricky Ricardo was actually the computer. Ricky Ricardo is Cuban, just for the record. Oh, I know. Oh, I'm aware. <laughs> I um, was thinking uh, like Cape Canaveral of Genie, but 
you know. Oh, I dream of Jeannie. I dream of Jeannie. But you couldn't do that actually. But I couldn't. There is no action. So it didn't happen. It was very unexciting. But just a few things that have happened for SpaceX recently. They've been practicing deploying their parachutes. Here is some audio from SpaceX themselves. SpaceX performed a successful test of its parachute system for the Crew Dragon spacecraft near Coolidge, Arizona, as part of its final development and certification work with NASA's Commercial Crew Program. Using a weight simulant in the place of a boilerplate spacecraft, four main parachutes were rigged to deploy just as they would when the Crew Dragon returns to Earth with astronauts aboard. Carried into the sky aboard a C-130 cargo aircraft, the test assembly was released from the back of the aircraft. Tests like this allow engineers to assess the reliability of flight-like hardware. Initially, the spacecraft will splash down safely in the ocean under parachutes, but ultimately, the company wants to land the vehicle on land using eight Super Draco engines. SpaceX recently tested its propulsive landing ability in Texas. SpaceX and Boeing are working in separate partnerships with NASA to build a new generation of human-rated spacecraft to take astronauts to the International Space Station. reason they're trying to deploy those parachutes is for their manned capsules. Yes. They don't need parachutes for any of the other stuff. Yeah, because if you blow up, uh, you know, a rocket... Uh, by I, trying to reland, who cares? Do you want? I wonder why. <laughs> who cares? I think they care because that's sixty million dollars. But I wonder if that would help the the landing situation if they deployed some parachutes on that stage. Yeah. I don't know. I'm no engineer, so my guess is no, or they would have done it already to yeah. sort of stabilize it and slow it down a bit. Actually, somebody asked the question. Wendy Rodeweiss's father is a friend of ours. Yeah, asked them, why are they trying to reland with rockets? Why don't they just use parachutes? Because we've been doing that for years. What is it about relanding the rocket with a rocket instead of just with a parachute? That uh, why? And I don't know. And I'm going to have to find somebody at SpaceX to answer that. I think. Well, they need. They would need to use both because the parachutes can't slow it down to the point where it would stop on a certain spot. Right? Like it's not really controllable that way. The, the yes, parachutes could slow it down and stabilize it, but they would need something at the very end to go to really like nestle it down nicely. Because my guess is that it can't take very big forces at all and still be reusable. That's my guess on that. I'm right. no space engineer. So even like uh, you deploy the parachutes and you land in the ocean, maybe just the smack into the ocean. Well, it's not usable because then the water, the, like the capsules, yeah, like, they can't use them in the water because they fill with salt water. Very corrosive. I don't know if you knew that about salt water. Oh, it will corrode. It's them. very corrosive. Virgin Galactic and space tourism. So uh, here's a little audio from Virgin Galactic about what they're doing. Actually, this audio is taken from a CNN report about Virgin Galactic's new aeroplane or spaceoplane. Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic wants to be the world's first commercial space line. That is, the first company to take regular people into space on a regular basis. And this is the spaceship they say could do it. Spaceship 2 Serial 2 was constructed here in the Mojave Desert in this secretive hangar. Two, one, release, release, release. This is how it works. The mothership, White Knight 2, carries the spaceship 50,000 feet into the air. Then it separates and blasts off at more than three times the speed of sound, reaching between 50 and 62 miles above Earth. The six passengers on board will experience about six minutes of weightlessness. 
And at this point, or very shortly, we're going to allow the, the customers to unstrap and they can float around. More than 700 customers have already paid $250,000 for a seat when Virgin Galactic eventually starts commercial operation. It's a sensational experience, of course, but uh, it's more important than that. It's, uh, it's a first step in the opening up space to the, the wider population of the world. I'm Virgin Galactic, Virgin Galactic, tick, 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 the Virgin Galactic. Is that the audio you're talking about? Okay, so uh, they've got a new spaceship, and uh, it's to replace one that crashed in 2014, killing the test pilot. Oopsie. And you said the reason it crashed was? The reason it crashed was because it didn't have autopilot. Right. So Oddly enough, so there were like some fine adjustments that needed to be made on the rocket wings like when they they deploy in like different angles Mm -hmm. and those were incorrectly adjusted by the pilot and he killed some people uh, himself himself, mostly bad and he injured the co-pilot so they've actually added autopilot so check box one for the autopilot on really technical things so uh, as you heard from that audio, basically this uh, spaceship is about flying people in the space for about five or six minutes, $250,000. You get to call yourself a spaceman. I don't and- think that's what you get to call yourself. I think you get to call yourself a, an astronaut. A space person. Spaceman. <laughs> I'm a spaceman. I'm an I astronaut. $250,000. If you're a trillionaire. It's, a trillionaire? No, I wouldn't even need to be a trillionaire, man. Right. If you were, if you had cash coming out of your wazoo, would you spend two hundred fifty thousand on it for a six minute ride in space? Um, I wouldn't hesitate. If I had multiple millions of dollars, I wouldn't hesitate to spend the money. I would hesitate to go into space on a thing that Richard Branson's company is building. Honestly, I don't understand why people are doing this it seems very dangerous the uber rich are very on board 700 people have signed up for this which means 175 million dollars have gone into the virgin galactic coffers uh they have been in business for quite a few years now and uh have they offered any flights to anybody at this point not yet they had to have spent a lot of money building these planes it makes a Putting $5,000 on an X or an S seem uh, trivial compared to the $250,000 for a flight that may not occur for another <laughs> that's, decade. That, that's very, very – you know what? When you do it like the math like that, then the, the X deposits seem like a veritable bargain of excitement. Well, uh, we could do a Tom. We could put $250,000 into the stock market of um, the company, Virgin Galactic, and or we could put $250,000 into a five-minute ride. Which one do you think is going to give you a better return? Can we do like Virgin America or Virgin Australia? <laughs> Virgin Australia. Yeah, Although okay. I don't know. What, what is Richard Branson's real business track record? I remember Virgin Records being he everywhere. He seems to have done quite well. He has a lot done of the, pretty Not good. everything wins, but uh, he, do, he does a lot of winning. We're winning again. <laughs> he does. He does a, don't get me started. <laughs> All right. Here's a, here's a new section that I'd like to call Elon Speaks. I'm going to try and find audio or tweets uh, from Elon directly, and I just want to do a quick one here. He was recently speaking in Hong Kong, and this was reported by Tesla Ruddy. We love those guys. And he said this. The, the goal of Tesla from the beginning has been to accelerate the advent of sustainable transport. And let's be very clear about what Tesla's doing. Let's be clear about why we're doing this podcast, why we're even discussing this stuff, is because Tesla is not about making cars to make profit. No. Nope. Tesla is about moving us to a sustainable future. 
Right. So I have a question about that. He's in China. The main question they asked him is, will they be producing the Model 3s in China? Because, you know, there are a lot of EVs, not a lot. There are 5,000 EVs, I think, now in Hong Kong and not very many in China. The big problem that I have a question about for you is China gets has a lot of electricity. They have a lot of people. Yeah. 73% of their electricity comes from dirty, dirty Dirty coal. Yes. So, and that is not about to change anytime soon. They even best case scenario, Mm -hmm. adding nuclear power, wind power, solar power, it's going to be 70% or more for the next 25 years, my guess is. So they have five or six million folks in the digging coal out of the ground business in China. Yes. So... Are they clean cars if they're electric cars in China? Yes, I mean, I've got an answer for you, actually. Oh, I you looked do? up an answer. So, but first of all, it's really hard to get a grip on how many people are in China. But think of it this way. If yeah. somebody comes up to you in China and says, Tom, you're a one in a million guy, <laughs> there's 1,500 people just like you. <laughs> That's, all That's 1.5 billion people is what you're saying with that mathematics. That's what I'm it's saying. always math with us. Oh, yeah. We're like mathematicians. So I found this. This is talked about a lot. Um, it's usually by the uh, people here in the US who like their to burn their fossil fuels saying, oh, electric cars aren't really uh, – uh, clean because they get the electricity from the grid and the grid burns coal, so you're wasting your time, may as well drive a gasoline car. Yeah. turns out that that's not true. Multiple studies on this actually from the US government and from elsewhere. If you go to longtailpipe.com, you'll find a link in the show notes. It basically says if we just look in the US, you can yeah. pretty much go anywhere in the US, and if you buy an electric car, it is less polluting than buying a gas car. But the difference is we – a lot of our electrical power plants are natural gas-fired. It's much Exactly. Cleaner. So we haven't got the cleanest grid in the world. We have uh, a pretty unclean uh, grid compared to a lot of countries. But pretty much anywhere in the US you go, you're better off uh, using an electric car. Um, there are some places, and it's a not clear reading for me, reading uh, some of these reports, that if you go to the dirtiest place in the world with the dirtiest coal, with dirty, dirty, dirty in China and India, there may not be an upside to uh, driving on electricity versus driving on fuel. But in the vast majority of the world, the overwhelming majority of the world, it is cleaner. In fact, in places like California, um, it's the equivalent of getting 100 miles or more per gallon of gas. That's driving your electric car if you're just using the grid. Right. There's parts in where they're geothermal or where they're using hydroelectric where it's the equivalent of 5,000 miles per gallon. It's right. so clean. So here's what uh, Elon has said also in the past. You have an electric car yeah. and uh, you've got a dirty grid. <laughs> As you clean up your grid, your car automatically gets cleaner. That's so true. as the cleaner your grid gets, yeah. the cleaner your car gets. And you don't get that with a gas engine. Your gas engine is always dirty. Dirty. And if you have solar panels, you do, I do, lots of uh, Tesla people do, yeah. then you're putting that into the mix so your car is very clean. If yeah. you've got enough solar panels to do your whole house and your car, you basically have zero emissions or close to it because there's a little bit of emissions in building the uh, right. things at the beginning. But, building the equipment and stuff. So I'm glad you asked about how clean this is because I found an expert. Her you name did? is Sherry. Hi, Sherry. And she uh, has been an EV driver for a long time, and here's what she said about how clean is your car. Yeah, my name is Sherry Boshert, and I'm a writer and author. I published the book Plug-In Hybrids, The Cars That Will Recharge America, and I'm a co-founder of the nonprofit organization Plug-In America. 
So I asked Sherry, because she's an expert in this area, how do you measure the cleanness of a car? How do we compare one car against another car? Which is the cleanest? Yeah, well, the traditional way of measuring emissions from a car is what comes out the tailpipe. But electric cars have no tailpipe, so boom, we win. Uh, so how do you compare electric cars and gas cars? They, the state regulators do what's called a well-to-wheels analysis. So it's not just what comes out the tailpipe, because there's no tailpipe on electric, and a plug-in hybrid will use both electric and gas. But they look at not only what the car is producing, but how much pollution is created by making the fuel that goes into the car, whether it's gasoline or electricity or diesel or whatever. Uh, that's well-to-wheels analysis because it's everything from, you know, the wells that pump the oil out of the ground and that gets reformulated into gasoline or it's whatever source the electricity is. It could be a coal-fired power plant, which is very dirty. It could be natural gas. It could be solar or wind, which is completely clean. That's called well-to-wheels analysis. And in those analyses done by uh, Argonne National Laboratory and Pacific Northwest National Laboratories and many, many others by environmental groups and, and others, electricity and plug-in cars almost always come out much cleaner than even the cleanest hybrid. All of them are cleaner than the conventional gas car. And most of them, in most circumstances, will be hybrids. Now, there's one other way to measure pollution because naysayers will say, oh, well, that's all well and good, but what about the parts of the car? You have to mine, mine for metals, and where do the metals for the batteries come from? And what happens to the car afterwards? And all of that, that's called life cycle analysis where you look at the entire life of the vehicle from creating the body, from creating the fuel, transporting the fuel in the body, running the vehicle, and then disposing of the vehicle. And in life cycle analyses, again, electric cars come out cleaner. There's a great uh, calculator on the Sierra Club website that lets you compare different vehicles to see which one is cleanest for you. So in California, it's almost always going to be an all-electric car because we have a relatively clean electric grid, and that's much cleaner than gasoline. In a few pockets of the country, particularly those that are right next to a coal-fired power plant still running, it may actually be cleaner to drive a plug-in hybrid, a mixture of gasoline electric, than running all-electric. Uh, so it depends on where you live. In general, uh, and this is from... Uh, an analysis by Argonne National Laboratory. But on the U.S. electrical grid as a whole, if you average all that out, uh, a plug-in hybrid will be about half as, will, will be about 50% cleaner than a conventional gas car, and an electric vehicle will be 50% more cleaner than the plug-in hybrid. Does that make sense? So there's a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about this. But again, the, the basic concept here is the cleanness environmentally of your car will depend on the fuel that's going in. And the fuel that's going in, if you've got an electric car, depends on what they're using to generate that fuel. So if they're using dirty coal, it's not going to be as clean as if you use a cleaner source. But you can compare and contrast against different types of cars and you can work out in your area just how clean would an electric car be. I asked Sherry also, how did she get into this? She's an author, and she's uh, uh, started a non-profit organization called Plug in America. Why? How did this all happen? 
I've been a journalist for more than 30 years, uh, about half of that as a medical news reporter. So I come at this from the skepticism and curiosity of a journalist. And when we decided to get an electric car, at least try to find one, I did a lot of research on, is this a good decision? Is this really cleaner than the others? Because I'm a lifetime environmentalist. Uh, and that led me to electric cars, uh, which led me to becoming an activist. I don't know if you saw the movie, Who Killed the Electric Car? I highly recommend it. It has a lot of good history in there. And uh, about a year after the movie came out, I wrote my book, Plug-In Hybrids, The Cars That Will Recharge America. Uh, about that time, myself and other EV drivers whose cars had been taken away and destroyed and we were trying to get new cars back on the market, we formed the nonprofit Plug-In America because drivers are the only ones who were really being honest with each other about all of this. You won't get it from the car companies. You won't get it from the oil companies. You know, it really pays to talk to the drivers. So thanks to Sherry for sharing that information and thanks to her activism in environmentalism and to those that have come before us for the work that they've done. We stand on your shoulders. If you look at uh, all cars, and if you look through the U.S., the uh-huh. Nissan Leaf has the smallest life cycle environmental footprint of any model year in 2014. Good on you, Leaf. Small, electric, cleanest car in the U.S. in the 19... Smallest life cycle environment? Is that a good thing? So when I so read life that, cycle I was is confused from like, by it. Life cycle is from all the way through, from when you build it and how much energy you put into building it to I how see. much to keep it going to how much to power it over the sort of a three- to five-year lifespan. The Nissan Leaf, cleanest car. I've- I forgot to ask. Where the hell's your car? Thursday of this week. What? So the next week, the next week that we do this show, there'll be a Tesla in my driveway. Well, it'll be in my wife's work driveway at that point. But uh, where are you getting it? How are you getting Thursday, it? I believe the Van Nuys Service Center. Are you going to be videoing that? Don't come. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Couple question. of pictures. Couple of uh, cell phone videos. Something. Photos and cell phones. Come on, okay. Make yes, it I happen. can make that look. I can make that look sort of low keyish. You know, no one. You know, I try to keep my my you know my stardom in under wraps. Yeah, it's hard though. People would be like, "Has Tom from talking?" Very, to very difficult, especially if I wear my talking Tesla podcast shirt into the Tesla store, which I won't do. Let's do some battery wall updates. I got the uh, email. Did you? And uh, I'm going to post a video of me going through the survey. So what they do is they say, hey, you said you wanted a uh, battery power wall. To power wall. And uh, then they send you a survey to fill out so they can best help your needs. So nice. we're going to do that on a video that you can catch on our website. They just ask some simple questions like, uh, do you have solar? Do you not have solar? You do you have more money than you know what to do with? <laughs> uh, are oh. you are you unable to do the kilowatt hour math savings? Do you plan on living for 10,000 years? Things like that. Wow. wow. I, I mean, I'm just curious. Wow, Tom. <laughs> Tom, we'll have to refer you back to episode whatever it was where we talked about the power wall. So in a prior episode, Tom and I went through the math of whether the Tesla wall battery really is cost-effective, and it's not clear that it really is. It, there's, for some people, it will be something that's useful. For example, if you have a lot of power outages and you want some backup, that would be a good idea. If you want to go completely off-grid and you've got enough solar, maybe you'll get a couple of these and you could do it. But for a lot of people, just purely for saving money, it's not clear how useful a Tesla power wall will be. But on that point, there's a new competitor in town, and actually this space is really heating up. 
And this one is called the Orison Home Battery. This is a much smaller battery than the Tesla Wall. This one has just a couple of kilowatt hours, and you can sort of stick it on the wall or you can keep it in your room. But it is not clear from their website how this thing will work. At best, it would be sort of a battery backup you could have in your office or you could have next to your fridge and it would give your fridge or your laptop or your computer a number of hours of use. But it's only about, you know, 2.2 kilowatts versus the Tesla wall, which is 7 to 10 kilowatts. But the useful thing that you can do on their website, actually, is you can work out how much energy different devices use. And Tom had this revelation. I clicked that little washer and dryer button, and you can see from the graphic, it's off to the side a little bit. Uh I clicked one use, one more use, and it was like double. You needed another one. So I think I may have discovered why I use so much electricity at my house. We wash a lot of clothes. I have very, very dirty children. (laughs) You do have a dirty family. (laughs) So that was interesting to me. So I learned that apparently my washer and dryer are much more energy hogs than, say, my refrigerator. Now, I don't know if that's uh, factoring in that being an electric dryer or not. I have a gas dryer, but it still runs on electricity to, to sort of spin it. So something to think about. Yeah, so this is not a lot of energy. How are you going to use this? A lot of people were asking in the comment section, well, what is this really for? If you want to run your house off this thing, you're going to need a lot of them and it seems silly. So I think this is more about battery backup. So for example, in my office, last week, we lost power for about 10 seconds. This used to happen all the time in California. What did you do, Mel? Uh, I cried. No internet for 10 seconds. Um, so if you're at a place where the grid goes down a lot and you just need a couple of hours while they get the act together, I can see plugging this in and making sure like your internet stays up and your fridge doesn't turn off. A few appliances would work. Yeah. If you've got a little office, uh, maybe you're off grid, uh, this could work, but it doesn't seem big enough. To, it's not big enough to run a house unless your house no. is really small. And neither is the power wall because the output is the important aspect of it. The limited output of both of them the power wall has limited output and this thing has a limited output and that's the issue and what i couldn't figure out from their website was exactly how it attaches to your home like it felt like the one that doesn't isn't wall mounted you just plugged into the wall can you just will it just feed electricity through that wall plug did you look into that i have no idea yeah well this is uh, they have said for the power wall that they can set it up so that it'll go to pers- specific circuit so you say okay i can't obviously run my whole house for two weeks on this stupid thing but i need you to run the fridge yeah and i need you to run maybe my phone keep my beer cold and a couple of other things and you just make sure those appliances are attached to that part of your circuitry okay so uh but this little tiny one uh, i can see some uses for it in specific circumstances like in my office uh as a sort of a super battery backup so that the grid goes down, then I'll still have, you know, six or eight hours of using my computer and TV but it didn't and then have I'll a, turn it off. But it didn't have a plug. That's what I wasn't sure, like, how it worked. Like, does it just send power again through the rest of your house via that outlet? That's what I wasn't, that's what I wasn't sure on. How do you get the electricity out of it? I see how you get the electricity into it. It also had five USB ports on the side of it, so you could charge all five of your phones while you're waiting for your lights to go back on. 
Uh, here's another story which leads into some Model 3 stuff. So yeah. Apple, uh, so Tesla has been hiring a lot of people from Apple and vice versa. There's a big old... And Google. And all those... So they just hired this guy called Bannon who is a semiconductor guru. He's considered a god in the semiconductor industry. He makes these great semiconductors. And so they hired this guy and they're saying, this is a big deal. This guy worked for AMD and he worked for Apple and his technology, the chips he makes are about autonomous driving. They're specifically about autonomous driving. Interesting. So uh, they've got this guy and they say, look, see, here's another example of Tesla doubling down with autonomous driving, which we already knew. And that leads into the story we have here about Model 3. So the chief technology officer of Tesla recently said that the Model 3 is going to have next generation technologies. I think it will surprise people the level of the features that it will include. And you said this last episode, the Model 3 is going to have to be kick ass it is i think it's gonna have to be kick ass for sure here's my prediction and you heard it first here on talking tesla here's my prediction Uh the model 3 is still a year or two away yes at the high end i believe that they're going to put in with these new hires that we've seen here all the technology you need to be fully autonomous they're pretty close now the model 3 if you get the higher end one We'll have all of the features, all the things needed for fully autonomous driving. And then once the uh, governments get on board, this guy here and his friends will just go, turn it on, fully autonomous, bam. That's the next level tech they're talking about. Skynet, I think is what they're calling it. I'm telling you <laughs> right here, Nothing. Model 3. Nothing. Skynet. Yeah. Okay, tell us, tell us. Go on, Model sorry. 3 is going to be a fully autonomous vehicle. It's going to have all the requirements for that. And then they'll just turn it on when uh, the legislatures catch up. Now, you heard I, it first. I agree with you. However, I believe, and I think they're going to do what they did with the X, and the technology is going to be in the car, yes. but you're going to have to pay five grand to turn that shit on. Yes. So that's going to drive it up. For a lot of people, they're not going to buy it initially, but I could see this scenario playing out. I bought a, a Tesla Model 3, and I've been driving it for a couple of years, and all of a sudden, it's the holidays, or it's my birthday, and someone's like, I'm going to turn on your automation for your birthday. Happy birthday, Whoa. Tom. Have some autonomous driving. Shaklacky. Maybe they can turn it on while uh, you're driving. You're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and I've been driving with my daughter the last couple of days. Um I think I may have turned the corner. I would like some autonomous driving. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. But they all but the thing is, it's going to at 19 million cars a year being produced. Right? One day. It is going to take No, that's oh, how many cars are produced in the world, right, yep. right, right? It is going to take a long time for there to be enough autonomous cars on the road. For everything to be fully autonomous. So we're talking again, like 20 years, right? I, again, I'm going to give you a prediction. Oh, goody. As soon as people realize how great autonomous vehicles are, we've talked about it on the show before, we've talked to experts on this, that transition will happen so fast. You see it now. You cannot watch a TV show without there being a car ad. And those car ads now are increasingly about certain levels of autonomous driving or yeah, autonomous braking. Sure. This is going to happen autonomous stay in your lane things like that but it takes a long time there are probably 300 million cars on the road that's what i'm saying it will take a very very long time let's finish this you know this is a weekly show now we can't bullshit on the whole time well but we already have i okay go ahead fun fact fun fact yeah you told me not to look this up so you're about to make me look stupid thanks a lot for that theoretically 
theoretically. How many kilowatt hours of energy is in a gallon of gas? And the reason I ask this is because we know that gasoline is so great because it is so energy dense. It's amazing. So I was wondering, compared to like batteries, how many kilowatts are in kilowatt hours are in one gallon of gas? Is that in measurable? Theory. It is measurable. It is measurable in theory. What could it be? Go, Tom. Four point seven. Thirty to 40 kilowatt hours. I think it's the exact number. It's like 36 kilowatt hours in one gallon of gas. That's a lot. It is a lot, but it's in theory. Because if that was true, basically uh, your battery in your car has 85 kilowatts. That's like three gallons of gas. So that means if you can get 270 miles of range, then you would be, if you did the conversion, you'd be getting like 80 miles per gallon. But that's what you're getting, right? We talked about that a little. You talked about that a little bit earlier, the 100 mile per gallon equivalent, right? That's sort of in no, the ballpark, right? Well, but what I'm saying is that if I, if you had a car as heavy as the Model X yeah. and Model S and you put three gallons of gas, it's not going to go 250 miles. So this is a theoretical energy equivalent. The real energy equivalent is like to move your car around is way less than that. Okay. So, But it still points out that the reason that we have a fossil fuel dependent world is because there is so much energy density in those chemical bonds in the right. gas. In the coal, in the gas, it's a lot of in the density. natural gas, all of those. And there are some experts that have said that's why even this battery thing is stupid. We have to use chemical energy. Bonds is where the energy is. And so that's why you need hydrogen and you need to hydrolyze it from uh, solar. And that's the energy that's within those chemical bonds is much more than you can shove into a battery. I'm just saying. Which leads us into our letters section of the thing. Because I believe exactly what you're talking about. We got an email from Mark Beyer. And he said, maybe this is a topic for one of your shows. Now, I didn't look in the NanoFlow Cells website to see if uh, Mark worked for NanoFlow <laughs> by any chance. But I'm going to assume that he did not. I went to this NanoFlowCell.com. Pretty cool car. They have a drivable pro- prototype. Yeah. I have no freaking idea what the hell they're talking about. They're talking about it being ionic fuel that basically will get – an 800-kilometer range out of this car. You can take the filling station infrastructure that we have right now and refill your car with this ionic fuel. Uh, I looked at this rsc.org chemistry world, and there seems to be something in there about ionic fuels, but I don't, uh, again, not a smart engineery type person. The car was cool. The doors were cool. I don't understand the fuel. Uh, please help me, someone. Yeah, I'm going to have to call these people and discuss it next week because I went on the same website and I couldn't work out what the hell you're talking about. It's like some magic ionic fluid that's yeah. you know, free and abundant and will not pollute and it's going to run your car for 500 miles. Yeah, it's but like they don't fuel, tell me what the hell it is. It's like fuel cell technology, which I think is like you transfer this fluid and it, it – I, I don't know. Let's not, let's not speculate at this point, but if, uh, if it works – and it's green, then let's get behind it. Uh, but I don't know either one of those things. All right, we've got another letter here from Andy McLeod. Now, you might remember that Andy uh, ages ago said, you know, you idiots uh, haven't driven with the autopilot. I'll uh, give you a drive. Did he say idiots? Yeah, pretty much. And uh, he said, look, I'm going to be down at Long Beach for the Formula E race on Ooh. April 2nd, which, uh, you know, a little shout out for the Formula E race if you want to go see that in Long Beach. Yeah. And he said, uh, you know, if we hook up, uh, I could take you for a drive. Unfortunately, I'm going to be in San Diego giving a stupid talk. I would have liked to have gone to that Formula E race and I would have liked to have uh, gone driving with Andy. So thanks, mate. But next time. What are you giving a talk on, Herbert? 
Yeah, medicine crap. Thought you were tired. Yeah, did. But still, somehow you get sucked in. Um, and then we got another one here from Robert Cock. <laughs> it's he, Coach, oh. by the way. <laughs> I like to say I like to say the word Cock. Remember how last episode we? Uh, well, mostly Tom went off <laughs> on the Cock brothers, who are these petrochemical nightmares that are trying to <laughs> petrochemical trying to defund everything that is good and healthy and renewable in the world. Yes, they so, are. So uh, these guys here said, "Love the show because we love Teslas and you blokes crack us up." That must mean we are not the fossil fuel-loving billionaire cock brothers you mentioned in uh, Thursday's episode. No, no. We are the solar-loving cock brothers from Down Unders. It's Kosh or Kosh. I like cock. Uh, <laughs> what? From Melbourne, to be exact. These boys are from Melbourne. They've got Teslas. I'm from Melbourne. They're driving down the Monash Freeway. I used to drive that freeway all the time to go to university. Of Monash. Monash University. And uh, he said they can't get enough of their three, ami- three amigos, Elon, Tom, and Mel. Keep the faith, brothers. We are Robert and John Kosh. We, we love letters from we people. We love them because, you know what it tells me? People are actually listening <laughs> to the show, it's a, it's which a, is spectacular. It's not just the two of us rambling yeah. on incessantly about things. There's actually thousands of people that listen to the show. I know. It's pretty cool. scary. And here's a letter from Robert Rosenblum just to finish it off. He said, Mel, I'm so sorry to hear you've been having problems with Solar City because he just had Solar put in and uh, his guy there, Gordon – Wheatley has been helping him out, and he's had no problems. It's been fantastic, and uh, you know he would uh, recommend Solar City anytime, anywhere. They've been great for him, and I've got to say, I love Solar City. When they did my first in- install, I don't want to be dissing them, but I'm also really happy with this uh, new company called Sun Tech. Like you don't even know. It's not Sun Tech. It's Sun Power. Okay, Sun Power. They've been really good. And like I said, Solar City was also really good. I just couldn't get them to answer me back the last time. So uh, we're going to get some uh, sun power installed in the next few months. That's it. That's, That's the all Academy Awards edition of Academy Talking Awards Tesla edition. 23. Academy Awards edition. Yep. Leap Year edition. Yeah. Me and you uh, weekly edition. Yeah. It's vi- That's that's like three editions in one. And uh, we talked about some good stuff. So you know what? Drop the mic, Herbert. Pow. We're out of here. Talk to you next week. Why? Because we're talking, 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 tal